I don't know. We'll see how it goes. This is our first like episode. So <laughs> I know I'm terrified. <laughs> well, you know what I the think magic- I've I think I've been stressed today about it. <laughs> <laughs> Paula and I am Monica. Welcome to Entre Dos, a podcast about racing bilingual children. That's our music. So Paula, how are you? Good. How are you? I am. I'm good. I'm so happy to be here. I feel like this is our second show, right? Me too. Yeah. Me too. Although I, it's our second show, but. I feel like it's our first one because I feel like this one will be better. Yes, it will be so much better. It will get better every week. What's um what's up with you this week? What are you doing? Not much. Getting ready to go camping with some oh. friends. Not my favorite activity, but it should be fun. I would love to do that. I'm afraid to camp in Florida. I'm afraid to camp them yeah. because it's... yeah, I understand that. <laughs> I don't know that it's I want to go to the Everglades. Pretty swampy. Yes, and sleep <laughs> next to like crocodiles and roaches, like prehistoric animals. Essentially, that's not for me. But I mean, I, I can see how Houston would be a good place for that. So good. Have fun. Well, it's good. It's thanks. It's getting a little swampy here too. So I don't know. Last time we camped here, it was 30 degrees, and I almost prefer that. <laughs> I, yes, I would too. No mosquitoes. Totally. No mosquitoes. Totally. Yes. <laughs> um. So you know, I, I have a, a funny story for you. That tell um, me. Yes. So the the other night, uh, I hear Soe speaking very loud in her sleep, which she does all the time, and it's usually terrifying because she'll wake me up with you know all sorts of things. And this time she started saying, no quiero, no quiero, which means I, I don't want to, right? In, in, in English. And it sounded like a nightmare. It was, it, it, it did, it sounded like a nightmare. But I was so happy because she was dreaming in Spanish. And <laughs> I was like, I was- I, The small I, joys. It was, yes. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Maybe I should comfort her, but I was just too happy <laughs> to know. <laughs> I was like, she is dreaming in Spanish. That is the ultimate thing, right? You want them to dream in Spanish. You want them to yes. sing in Spanish, right? When no one's looking, you want them to play with, you know, their dolls in Spanish. And, and I was like, oh, wow. I felt very accomplished. So that, that's that was, funny. Yeah. That was really nice. <laughs> I was so happy. It is. <laughs> I don't know if Amelia, I, I've never, I don't think she's ever spoken in her sleep. So I don't know. But I think she thinks in English. That's my theory. Today we were coloring and we were speaking in Spanish and she dropped her marker. And she's like, oh, I should get that, you know, talking to herself. And then she yeah. went back into Spanish when speaking to me. So I think she might think in English. <laughs> yeah, you know what? And, and I, I know so of things in English because of her grammar when she speaks in Spanish. So that's, that, yeah. that's you know, that I, I can tell she's translating. But there's something else going on, you know, because when you think about it, I mean, I will once in a while, I will hear her, for instance, pl- playing with 
her toys in Spanish and then she'll, she'll switch back to English, right? Which is kind of what you want. You want them to be able to jump from one language to the other without, you know, any effort. So in that way, I mean, right. that is a good thing. If she's, if she's picking up the thing and says, oh, I have to pick this up in English and then talks to you in Spanish, that's actually, isn't that code switching? Yeah, probably. So that's what you want, right? And, and yeah. And it's not a bad thing. I learned that kind of late because I used to feel really bad about how much I switched, especially when I speak to my brother, we switch a lot. And then I learned code switching very recently. I didn't know that term. So I think it's normal. It's just however your brain feels it can say something better. That's kind of the language it's going to go for, I guess. Right. I, I code switch with my brother a lot too. He's the only person that I do that with. That that really I can go I, I go full Spanglish sometimes with him. But it's not really Spanglish because I'm not I am saying full sentences in English and then a full sentence in Spanish. So my thoughts are complete, right? right? But but they're just I'm just going back and forth. And it's just it's right. Yeah. It, it's very interesting. Yeah. I don't know how that happens, but it does. Yeah. We'll we'll probably have somebody talk about this on yeah, here I would because love to break that I'm down. sure what goes on in the brain of someone bilingual is probably topic for one of these episodes. It's true. You know, I, I remember when it's see, there's a lot of different types of, of bilingual bilinguals, you could say. But um I remember when I moved to Miami. Um, the first few weeks, I, I, I just, because I went, you remember we, we, that's how we met. We went to college. We, we did our master's degree. Together. Right. And the first few weeks, I just, all I was, I, I would go days without really speaking to anyone in Spanish. It was weird. And I missed it. And I felt sort of like, it was like this thing where I, it was an instinctual almost for me to want to speak Spanish. And I would drive down to um, Calle Ocho, which is, you know, for people that don't know, that's like a, a major thoroughfare in Miami's little Havana neighborhood, which is a very Latin neighborhood. Like you can step into whatever border, you know, there is from, you know, Coral Gables to little Havana and immediately everybody's speaking Spanish. It's like, there's no, you, you can go blocks and blocks without listening to any English. And I would intentionally go there just for that like at that point like spanish for me was like like a warm croqueta <laughs> it was so <laughs> nice it was comforting and i think like for a lot of people for a lot of bilinguals even people that did not grow up with with spanish it was you know but they have relatives that speak that speak spanish that they love like their abuelas for instance you know spanish for them is like a warm croqueta you know, it's a comfort language. Yeah. It's something that feels, I don't know, like, like, like home, even if that's not right. necessarily the language that they will use, you know, outside and they're not 100% comfortable with, which is, you know, it's, it's, so that's kind of like a, a way of being bilingual. Yeah, I think that happened to Amelia a little bit early on when she started going to preschool, for example, she we were fortunate that both of her teachers in her first classroom spoke Spanish. They were from Mexico. And 
I think that immediately helped her feel more comfortable because at that point she felt a lot more comfortable in Spanish. So it's just kind of familiar. It gives it a different feeling. ¿En qué idiomas hablas? Inglés y español. ¿Y con quién hablas? ¿Cuál? Español con tú y inglés con papá. ¿Y en el cole? Con mis amigos y todos hablo inglés y español. ¿Ambas? Sí. ¿Y con Na, tu abuelita? Español. ¿Y con Grandma? Inglés. ¿Y cuál te gusta más? <laughs> yeah, she didn't have a lot of English. She wasn't speaking that much. I mean, she was speaking, but it wasn't that much at that age. So she went with, yeah, what I would say, a few words here and there. But she had those two teachers and they spoke to her in Spanish. So that was actually good. You know, I liked that because she had been listening to Spanish from birth And even though David, her dad, spoke in English, she spent most of her time with me. Right. I stayed at home. And so she was with me or with my mom. And my mom speaks in Spanish to her. So it was, you know, looking back, I, I'm like, those early years were easy in this regard because they're still, you know, when they're babies and then toddlers You're it's very easy because you just need to conduct your daily business with them in Spanish and that's enough. And yeah. we read a lot, of course. We read it almost exclusively in Spanish. Music was huge because she loves music. And so, you know, we sang all the classics of that you hear when you're a kid. You know, Los Pollitos Dicen, Arroz yes. con Leche, all that. All oh those songs. I, I forgotten all that, all, all of those songs. I did not know any <laughs> songs. I was like, I have to, I have to go back into the archives and, and, and work on this because I did not, Los Pollitos probably was the only one that I remembered. That was it. I mean, everything else I was lost, but, um, but you know, you know, what's funny. Did you start when you spoke, um, when you started speak, when Emilia was born, did you deliberately yes. start speaking to her in Spanish? Was that a deliberate choice or was it just something yeah. that came naturally? It was a choice, but I, but it wasn't like something that I, you know, sat down and really thought about and mapped out and said, okay, I have to do this. It was more, I knew I wanted her to speak Spanish and I figured that was just the easiest way for her to learn it. Because when you listen to a language from such an early age, you're gonna pick it up so easily. So it was a choice. But I wouldn't say it was too premeditated or, or planned right. or I didn't have a plan of how I was, was going to accomplish that. It just seemed to me like the most natural way to get her learning the language. And I think it was easy. I think it was easy because my, my family's here, too, and so, my parents. And so there was a I was even speaking more more Spanish because I spoke to them in Spanish. See, and I think if important. I was still. Yes, very important, because. Honestly, at that point, we had moved to Houston very recently. So we hung out with my parents quite a bit. So 
they were the ones that I spoke to in Spanish. But if they weren't here, I might not have a need to speak in Spanish to that many people. Now I've met more friends who are Spanish speakers, but back then they were the ones that I spoke to in Spanish. And so that really, really helped. That is so true because I, I can tell you right before I got pregnant, I remember my life was mostly in English. If it, if it hadn't been because of those daily calls to my mother, um, I would have probably not, you know, I could go days without uttering a word in Spanish with another person. I mean, professionally, I use my Spanish once in a while, but at the time it just wasn't happening. So I had to retrain my brain to Spanish in many ways. I had to really sort of go back into that Spanish world where I was speaking it at home all the time. And, and that was kind of, that was, it wasn't hard, but it definitely made it that it was, I wanted it to be as natural as possible, but I also had to be very deliberate about the fact that, Hey, I have to stop myself here. I have to start sort of really relearning a lot of that dynamic again and to establish that dynamic with my daughter, because that, that to me was the most important thing for her to see me as someone that speaks Spanish and to establish that, that relationship early on so that she associates me with that language. Right. Because what do they say, right? That, that you have to create a need and that right. need has to come not just from a pragmatic sort of, you know, very, um, a pragmatic need, but it needs to come from an emotional need too. Right. So that, yes. that's very important. And you know, what's, what's more emotional, what's, you know, sort of more important than that mother daughter relationship. So yeah, right. definitely. And, yeah. and that's good. I, <clears throat> it's funny because when I go to Puerto Rico, I sort of get into that groove immediately because everybody's speaking Spanish. So I just jump right in. But um, here it can be difficult because I go from speaking English at work all day to jumping into Spanish to going back into English, you know, when when David comes home. So it's kind of it, it's it, it can be tiresome sometimes. Yeah, it is. And I felt the same way about kind of rediscovering Spanish, not in the sense that I had forgotten it or anything. I just didn't use it that much. And I was using it a lot more than I had in years since I moved here, probably, because I was speaking it at home with her and with my parents or on Skype with family or we were reading in Spanish. And so all of that, it's almost like falling in love with it again. Not necessarily. That sounds really exaggerated, but it's almost like you find that joy in it again. You remember how much you like it and how much it's a part of you because you're using it more. Yeah, I you know, I have been listening to a lot more Spanish language music in in the last few yeah. years. I don't and you know, it's partly because I want her to to listen to. I mean, it's stuff that I used to listen to when I was, you know, younger. You know, it's mostly old stuff. So she's she doesn't like all of it. But um but but it, it's it's good it and it's good because it, it sort of gives me a reason it reminds me that how important my roots are right and how and why i'm doing this it's not just because i want her to learn another language for the sake of it it's because it's important to me and and right i have to participate in that too yeah definitely and that's why i think sometimes it seems like such a big task because 
like you said, it could get tiresome and you have to put a lot of, of you. You have to be very intentional, very consistent, and you just have to do it all the time. And sometimes, you know, I think we're fortunate that we live in cities where it's not so unusual to find Spanish speakers. But if, if you're in a place where maybe not that much Spanish is spoken, I mean, it can be isolating too. You're like the only person speaking another language to your child and you have that dynamic. So I've heard from some parents that they find it kind of isolating as well. It's like kind of like they're the outcast or something. That that must be difficult to be. And also yes. you know, to publicly maybe be in spaces where speaking Spanish to your child might get you looks, not bad looks, right? Just looks because people are, you know, you're, you're in a space where everybody's speaking English and then suddenly you hear another language, whatever language that might be. And people sort of are startled by that. It breaks the yeah. whatever rhythm that, that there is in that space. So I do, you know, I wonder how that is. We would love, actually, we would love to hear from those families. Anyone, Definitely. any listeners yes. that are out there that are, that are sort of living in spaces that are in, in, in places that are, that are sort of less Spanish speaking, less Hispanic, we would love to hear from you and see what, you know, your experiences are. Yes, for sure. Because everybody's is very different. And so it, there's always so many interesting dynamics depending yeah. on the family where they live but you it's but you just... know what it, it's funny in miami i think that people take it for granted i think and i meet a lot of families here that tell me oh well i wish that my kid spoke spanish but they just didn't take to it and then i ask them you know what they did you know what have you been doing you know to to you know i'm assuming that they're going to tell me where they're in classes or i've been doing And they say, don't nothing, you know, we just speak Spanish at home and with the family. And I'm thinking, well, you know, it's not going to happen by osmosis. <laughs> it's not just going to be that the kid is listening to, to Spanish, maybe, you know, on the weekends with the grandma or something like that. And then they're going to learn it. it. You need to be very intentional about it. And, and yeah. I think here, because Spanish is everywhere, everywhere you go. I mean, it's, there's always a Spanish speaker in every space that you occupy in Miami, um, you forget that, you know, you still have to work at it. You can't. Just, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, so it's, it, I mean, there are challenges and every, everywhere you go. I mean, if you are doing, if, if you are doing it the way that, that we're doing it, which is very conscious, I mean, being in a city where there's a lot of Spanish speakers can be, it's a blessing. It's wonderful <laughs> culturally and, and for the language. I mean, because it's like, you also get that sort of cultural embrace of, of, you know, that your culture is, is, is sort of part of that community already. You don't have to create all of it, you know, at home. Right. So that's, that's nice to have that. Yeah. It's very helpful. Definitely. And I think Miami is so unique <laughs> having lived there. And, you know, even though in Houston you have, a high Hispanic population and Spanish is spoken. It's nothing like Miami because in Miami, I feel is like the only place where you go and the default is Spanish first. <laughs> it's not like they wait for you to find out if you speak Spanish or English. They just go straight to Spanish. It is. And I love that. And you know, it's funny. Yes, I love it too. <laughs> it's, it's funny because it's <laughs> when, and I had, 
I had, you know, I had been to Miami before, you know, I have family here. So I had been to Miami before I moved here. Um, so I knew that already. And, you know, I tested a lot of times, you know, I would go to certain places like, you know, I don't know, the mall, and I would talk to people like the, the people that worked in the stores in, in Spanish, and they would respond to me in English. And I always thought that was so funny. <laughs> and I mean, I got yeah. it. They were they were trying to, you know, it's a that's a profession, you know, they're being they're professionals there. So they had to speak English. I'm sure that that was a rule, I guess. But it was interesting, because that's probably the only time that I have that I would speak to someone that I knew spoke Spanish, and would speak English back to me. Everywhere else, people are so happy to <laughs> like, they're just so happy to hear you respond back in Spanish and to like have that conversation. It's nice. But it's funny, you know, yeah. it depends on where you go. Because I remember there were many years when I was living in a very sort of English -y environment here. Like there was a lot of English speakers around me. I mean, probably when you're when we were at, at, at the university, we were definitely like surrounded by that. You know, at work, yes. there's a lot more English, unless you have a job where it requires you to use your, your Spanish, you know, you, you're mostly speaking English and you sort of stop, I don't know, you stop, you stop developing that conversational Spanish too, you know, and Spanish becomes like this language that is sort of like more sort of in the background that you don't use as much, but you always have it in your pocket when you need it. Right. And you can, you know, go to the restaurant yeah. and do this and do that. But but English becomes sort of that official language. I mean, that happened to me. I mean, it, it was difficult. I, I There are words and we had had we've had this conversation before. There are words that Zoe will ask me like, okay, Mama, how do you say this? In fact, today she asked me, how do you how do you say guinea pig in Spanish? <laughs> And I was like, I have no Animals idea. are the toughest. I was like, what? I have no idea. And it's, it's Conejillo de Indias. And yes. I knew, I kind of, heard, I, I had read this, but I never made the association. Like, I was like, I, I don't know. It's not, I don't think about guinea pigs, you know? So. Right. You don't use it in everyday conversation. You don't. Really. You don't. No. Animals are tough. They're, they are. <laughs> every animal. I was like, I don't know how. And yes. she loves, I mean, we have all, and you know, I've intentionally bought um, these sort of animal picture books that are in Spanish so that I can learn them myself because I have no idea. And I feel so bad when she asks me something and I have to Google it. But I also yes. want to show her, hey, we're going to figure this out. And it took me a few minutes. But I was like, we're going to figure this out. <laughs> so I always tell her, you know, I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the reality is that some things I really don't know. Like, how do you say roly poly in Spanish? I'm like, what? I don't know. I don't even is recall ever... seeing roly poly no. when I was young. I don't <laughs> so even know. Maybe they just live here. I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, animals are always throw me for a loop. And, you know, early on, I was stricter about reading to her just in Spanish. So if she had a book in English, I would translate it as I read, as I read it. And a lot of times, those were the words that stumped me, like animal names or just things that you don't use every day. And, and because you don't, they're kind of either archived way back there where you don't remember or you've just never used the word. It's it's interesting all those things that come up as you you know in the process. <laughs> so so for the for the listeners, as you can tell, we are talking a little bit about our personal experiences in you know raising our bilingual children, and um, 
you know, this is a discussion that we'll probably have, you know, throughout every episode because we're coming from this as, you know, mothers too. And we want to, you know, we, we're also exploring this subject, you know, just like you. So um, I, I feel like I had to say that, right? <laughs> I was like, yes. I just realized we didn't introduce the topic. We just went straight into it. That's and I was, that's <laughs> <laughs> um, so what do you think has worked with your strategy in, you know, raising your bilingual child? Well, I think definitely starting early. I think that's huge but because I think it just makes it easier from the get-go. It She's just accustomed that to hearing both languages and it's natural. It's not something that we suddenly said, oh, you know what? Maybe you should start learning Spanish. That's not to say that you can't start later. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of families who have started later and, and you know, kids are able to learn very quickly. But I think that's really helped. And, and I think that just um, using books has been huge. I mean, that's kind of, I, I feel it's the easiest way to expose your kids to another language, whatever language it is, because, you know, they pick up vocabulary that you might not use in everyday conversation. And it's also an enjoyable activity. It doesn't feel forced uh, or, hey, let's go learn Spanish. It's just something that you do. So it creates connection. They're engaged. And it's, I think that's reading to her in Spanish from early on has been, I think it's been very helpful. So I think those two things, music has also been big because I've sang to her in Spanish since she was a baby, basically, and and she really likes it. So I think it's another way of just using the language at home. But I think that and, you know, just staying consistent, although I will say that she's now five and she's in kindergarten and now she speaks more English at home than I think she ever did. And she it's almost like she realizes that I can understand her in both languages. So she's not as exclusive with her use of Spanish when it comes to talking to me, like she'll switch sometimes or or I'll even say things to her in English more than I did before. So it's almost like I have to remind myself to be consistent. But, you know, we always go back and it's not like she's losing it or anything. So I think that's really worked. And, you know, I don't know how it'll progress. She's only five. So I'm really curious to, I know. to know what, 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 you know, what comes later, because you hear stories about kids not liking it anymore or just... I, I don't know. Honestly, I, know. It, I don't know what you know, could come up. It, it does, you know, it, you know, I realize that for people hearing this, it, it might sound a little bit intimidating and that's because it is, <laughs> you know, it is intimidating. It is, you know, it's a challenge and, and it's, you know, also because we're living in a country where bilingualism is just doesn't seem to be a big priority in our educational curriculum. So Right. And in many ways, you feel like you're on your own. Um, for instance, you know, right now, Soe has like one more year in her school and um, she's in a preschool, in a private preschool. And next year she's going to go to public school. And, you know, her current school, they have sort of like an informal bilingual track. You know, all of the teachers, you know, speak Spanish. That's their native language. So she hears Spanish every day. She, you know, that she gets read to in Spanish in her school. 
it's somewhat part of, of the curriculum. Um, but next year, we don't know what's going to happen. And considering we're living in probably the one place in the entire country where, you know, it has the highest concentration of Spanish speakers, there's not a lot of options for dual language programs, really. I mean, we're looking for, for anything, and it's just very difficult. And all of the programs are programs where you have to um, get into a lottery for. It's not even something that you could test your way into. So we don't right. know what's going to happen um, once she gets into, you know, the bigger sort of education system. And I'm just getting prepared for her not being able to get into any of these dual language programs. And I'm trying to set up an independent track for her so that she has, you know, maybe a tutor. Um, we'll figure something out, you know, during the summers with Spanish summer camp. And of course, you know, reinforcing all of that stuff here at home, you know, but I am a little bit nervous, you know, once she goes out there to, you know, sort of figuring out how we're going to get her on track and continue her Spanish education, because doing it as an extracurricular also poses a lot of challenges because there are other things that she might want to do eventually after school. Right. And not go to her Spanish tutoring class. Right. So. Right. You, yeah. That's a concern. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's I guess if, if it doesn't feel difficult at times and if it doesn't feel challenging, then you're probably not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I it definitely can be frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So what do you think has worked for you? In your case, you also started speaking Spanish with her. So speaking Spanish with birth. her, yes, speaking Spanish with her from birth was important because that set a dynamic between the two of us. It set a dynamic between the two of us, which was great, you know, because it helped me to, right, you know, sort of get that relationship in Spanish going. And then the... You know, the one thing that I found to be helpful for me was was books, reading, because it's something that I already loved. I love children's books even before I had a kid. I just never really bought them for myself because I thought it would be creepy <laughs> an adult with children's books. But I love the illustrations. And and I, I just there's something about literature for children that's just very, you know, symbolic of of you know, who we are as a society and the stories we tell children, right? And, and you know, getting into that world and being able to read to her in, in, in Spanish and enjoying it myself. And also, you know, it helped me develop a, a, a conversation with her in Spanish because we talk about the books that we read about all the time. And this is a conversation right. that's way more elevated than just like, what did you do today? You know, how was this? How was that? This is a conversation that can get into like, you know, something conceptual and, and it's great, yes. you know, and, and, and that really helped, you know, and sort of de have helping us develop sort of a relationship that was also a little bit sort of intellectual almost. And, and, you know, music has been big, especially lately, you know, right now her, her favorite um, her favorite song is from this Nicaraguan artist called, um, oh my God, I forgot his name. He, he, it's, it's a salsa song. We'll put it in the show notes. Yes, it's a salsa. I think it's Luis Enrique, Luis Enrique. He's a salsa artist. And I don't know how, you know, 
she okay so you know that radio ambulante plug by the way radio ambulante yes. podcast amazing podcast yes. for spanish speakers out there. must must listen yes we love it um and uh they have these playlists on spotify that they build and they made one called canciones del exilio um and this is one of the songs in that playlist and i was playing that playlist for you know months and months. i loved it so i would play it you know here in the afternoon when i was cooking or cleaning or whatever and she's always around me she was you know would be drawing or playing and she loved that song and she asked me to just keep playing it and playing it and playing it and she'll just that she's she wants to hear that song every morning now and it's in spanish and it's a beautiful <laughs> song about you know this man that had to leave nicaragua you know to the united states and how difficult that was for him, you know, and, and he's talking about his identity and she's just saying like, mi primera novia y mi identidad. She's singing this stuff, but I'm like, what is it? <laughs> so, That's funny. Yeah, and music is a big deal. She really likes the sort of rhythm yes. of salsa. She really likes it. And she, a lot of her songs that she likes, you know, she likes Mark Anthony and she she likes that sort of, that sound and it, it is because I've played that for her a lot here at home and I think that that music tastes can also help you with with language learning because oh yeah you know, it, it's like reading a book you know you're learning the lyrics you're learning how it sounds you know you're becoming accustomed to the culture too you're enjoying that Spanish culture so music has been a big deal I think that we both kind of like are are you know in agreement with a lot of the things that, that ha have worked. So that's probably pretty universal, yes. you know, and you know what, yeah, I think so too. that has worked, but it's a little bit more involved is, you know, having her surrounded by, by relatives that speak Spanish. So, you yes. know, bringing her to Puerto Rico, every time we go to Puerto Rico and she comes back, she comes back with, you know, just a, a just a, dozens and dozens of new words in Spanish and phrases and she comes back speaking Spanish more fluently and sometimes we we only go there for one week and she's just it's just I don't know and sometimes she'll lose it after a few months you know because we haven't been you know but but it's great and and it also develops a need for her to speak Spanish she's understanding that oh You know, if I want to talk to my cousin, if I want to talk to my abuela, my abuelo, my titis, I have to, I have to speak Spanish. So this is, this is a need yeah. for me. Yes, travel, travel's definitely, I mean, it's not easy to do, but it's, I think it's, it's huge because they, they're exposed to it. Like you said, it creates a need, but I feel like every time we come back, her Spanish has grown in leaps and bounds because she has no words. Obviously, she hears words that I may not use. You know, I've, I haven't lived in Colombia for a long time, so there are words that I might not really use. And she picks them up. She picks up those nuances. So it's definitely, definitely helpful. I know it's not something that you can do every day or that everybody can do, but it It's it's helpful. Speaking to my family in Colombia over Skype also works. Yes. yes. <laughs> it also helps. Yeah. Yes, and you know, yeah. it's so. it's good to for them to create an independent relationship with, you know, somebody in in the family that they love, that they want to talk to, that they want to communicate with. With Soe, that's that's usually her cousin Gabby. And she mm -hmm. we talk every 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 week. 
and it's always in Spanish and it's great. I love to see them, you know, speak Spanish to each other. It's so cute. <laughs> and, and it's like, it's like a, it's, it's now they have their own independent relationship, you know, that, that has nothing right. to do with me. I mean, I'm there when they're talking, but they're having their own world and it's all in Spanish. And that's something that we wouldn't, you know, that, that we wouldn't have otherwise, you know, if we didn't really, really make a, a point of making sure that those familiar collect, uh, connections are happening. So yeah, that's also a big deal, but that's definitely more involved and not everyone can do that. Not everyone has relatives abroad. Exactly. Not everyone has relatives that speak, you know, the language that their kid is, yeah. is being exposed to, you know? So, so we know that that's sort of like a, a, a good strategy, but that might not work for everyone. What do you think? And you can only tell me one is okay. the biggest challenge with bilingualism. Wow. That's tough. I, I guess consistency. I think that, well, actually, I think that unpredictability, because honestly, I, I feel like even if I manage to be very consistent, I can't, kind of don't have that much control over how she will evolve in her bilingualism, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I know she's only five, but I kind of wonder, you know, I was listening to a podcast this week and it talked about a family that had three kids, they're grown in college and one of them had picked up the, the language of the family and studied it and went to study abroad and really embraced it. The other one, zero. And then the other kid decided to go for a different language, studied abroad in a different country and just picked up another language. So I'm thinking, I don't know. <laughs> What's going to happen when she gets out of my little, like, you know, artificial womb that exactly. I created for her. Exactly. Yes. That. So I think it's a little bit unpredictable. And, but I, I do think that consistency, and I think that I hear it from other parents too, that it's just hard to maintain. It's hard to keep it up all the time. And especially as they get into school and they're surrounded by peers who speak mostly in English and they prefer that language, I think it probably becomes a little more tiring. I've had friends who've told me, well, I was just kind of tired of having a monologue. So I stopped speaking because they would speak to their child in Spanish or Portuguese or whatever. The child would respond in English. Mm-hmm. So they're like, well, I, I, they felt or they described it as a monologue, which I thought was interesting because I don't see it that way. I'm kind of like, well, if she if she if I speak to her in Spanish, she responds in English. I just continue the conversation in Spanish and she might eventually switch. Um, but I don't necessarily see it as completely negative. I mean, sometimes I'll give her little reminders that, oh, let's switch to Spanish or something. But we're still communicating. She's still understanding me. So the way I see it, I'm like, well, there has to be some value to it anyways. Right. And, and you don't want, you know, so, you don't want Spanish to be like a punishment, right. Or something that they exactly. have to do. I mean, you want it to be something that they want to do that they find enjoyable, you know, and that's where all of the other things we were talk of, talking about come in, you know, where you talk about the music and when you talk about, you know, going to, you know, your home country and, you know, all of those things where they see the benefits, right? Um, yes. But I, I mean, our, our kids are so young, you know, having a, 
let's say a 15 year old, that might be challenging, you know, dealing with a teenager Yes. where you have so many other things, so many other priorities that you're going to definitely fight about <laughs> making it about my adding bilingualism to that. I, I, exactly. I don't know, but you know what? Th that's why we're here. We're here to talk it out. We're here to help each other and to encourage each other to continue, you know, yes. with, with, you know, racing. and to listen to other stories. Yes. Yes. Because we, we can learn. I feel like I always want to appear into other people's homes because the, you know, the dynamics are so different in every family that I'm always curious to see how they do it and what it looks like for them. So we hope to bring some of that too. And we started with ourselves. That's why today's episode was all about what we do with our own children. Thank you for bringing it home. <laughs> Should have said that at the beginning, but you know, we got into it. <laughs> yes. But speaking of that, we would love to hear your own experiences raising your bilingual children. And we've created a Facebook group called Entre Dos Community. So we hope you'll join us there and with suggestions, feedback, anything you want to talk about. We'll be there. We're very excited. Waiting for yeah, you. We're very excited about having these discussions online as well. And you can also sign up for the Entre Dos newsletter at entredospodcast.com. Um, we now have a website that is very exciting. And the newsletter is going to be awesome. So please sign up to stay up to date with any resources that, that we find interesting. In there, you will see when our new episodes are about to come up. And also information about books and music and any other useful resources that you can use for your bilingual experience. And next week, uh, if you listen to our intro episode, episode zero, uh, you heard us say that we plan on having guests on the podcast and we plan to do that probably every week if we can. So we're very excited that next week we'll be joined by a friend of ours and who's a professor at the University of Houston and she researches bilingualism, but she's also a mom to six-year-old twins. So we're happy to get kind of two different perspectives one from kind of a more scholarly side and one from the mom side. So we hope that you'll join us next week to listen to her. I am so excited about this interview. Yes, it'll be a good yeah. one. We're done for this week. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and on the Facebook group, Entre Dos Podcast Community. We'd love to see you there. And you can also find us on our network, All Points West, at allpointswest.net. So, hasta la próxima. Nos vemos. Este mi gente va la voz que vive lejos, pero amar voy a olvidar. Esos amaneceres bellos de Somoto, los juegos en la calle real.